0: Where are the Knicks going? Which young talent should we be excited about? Can they actually figure it out and get good? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am honored to bring on basically the voice of the NBA and the voice of Knicks play-by-play, Mike Breen. So, Mike, thank you for uh, joining us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Nick, it's my pleasure. Always fun to talk basketball.
0: Well, let's, let's get into it then, because I'm kind of curious, as a play-by-play guy, um, how vital are the X's and O's to you in, A, knowing them and then preparing for them as the game is uh, approaching?
1: Well, you know, when you first start in the business, um, you just you you want to be a sponge and learn as much as you can. So early, when I first started, um, I would stay away from the X's and O's and leave that up to the analysts that I work with. Um, I've been so fortunate and blessed to work with, you know, a lot of great former coaches, current coaches, former players. And then as you as you work in the business, you learn more and more about the game and the strategies, and you understand it better. And I've always felt um, once you get a handle on that and, and feel comfortable talking about it on the air, um, it really helps the analyst because, you know, if I bring up a strategy or talk about some X's and O's, the analyst can now, who's obviously an expert in, in the X's and O's, he can now take it a step further. And I always feel that's that's great for the viewer or for the listener because it, it can advance the game more and, and talk more specifically. So um, I, I try and watch it as much as possible but I also know my limitations and I know that uh, the reason that they have an analyst sit next to me when I broadcast a game is because he's the expert on the X's and O's.
0: So like how, how much interaction might you have with an NBA coach uh, before the game as you're getting ready?
1: Well, that's, that's one of the great parts of the job, Nick. Um, you know, whenever I do a national game for ESPN or ABC, um, we always get a chance to sit and talk with a coach usually for about 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, it's it's just in a relaxed atmosphere where um, you ask them questions, you try and learn about their team, you try and learn about the game, so many different things. Um, it's just, it, it's so much fun to get to know the coaches, but you learn so much from them. And then with, uh, when I do Nick games, whoever's the Nick coach, and, uh, <laughs> David Fisdale, the coach now, um, you know, he's been so open about uh, sharing information with me in terms of teaching me about his players and about his team and about the culture he wants to, to, uh, to bring to the, to the Knicks. So uh, it really is one of the highlights of the job because, um, you know, I've been doing this now. I think this is my 27th year broadcasting NBA basketball. And it seems every day you learn something new. As you know, Nick, I mean, the game is uh, it's, it's the greatest game in the world. And, and to learn from some of the brightest minds in it is, uh, is an absolute thrill.
0: Well, you mentioned that there are there, there have been you know a number of coaches in your tenure uh, covering the Knicks. So I'm kind of curious if uh, any particular one sort of stands out in your mind for you know the way he uh, acted or said stuff. Any, anything come to mind that's uh, interesting and funny?
1: Well, you know the um, I remember the first year when I first started doing the Knicks. Pat Riley was the coach, and it doesn't get much better than Pat Riley. <laughs> Uh, but Pat is, was, I mean, as focused and disciplined as, as any person I've ever met in the, in the game. So I used to do this coaches meeting with him and during the whole year, um, you know, I'd sit down and I'd have, uh, a coach's interview. I didn't do it every game, but say every fourth or fifth game. So I had established a nice professional relationship with, uh, with coach Riley, but it, he's not a man that that's going to socialize a lot. He especially during the course before or after a game, it's all very businesslike. So I'd only have maybe three or four uh, conversations with him that weren't about basketball or about our, our pregame interview, um, but it still was a thrill to, to learn from him. And then the season ended, the first season ended, and about five or six days after the season ended, I got a letter in the mail, and I didn't know the, the return address, and I opened up the letter, and it's a handwritten letter uh, from Riley uh, thanking me for my professionalism, and for my, you know, the work that I did that year for the Knicks. And I didn't even, I wasn't even sure if he knew my name. And <laughs> wow. a week after the season ends, you get a, a letter of thanks and appreciation from Riley. It really was, uh, it was a confidence booster for me. And, you know, he's always been, uh, he's been a big supporter. So that's not a funny story, but it's one that really meant the world to me. Uh, the other one, um, Jeff Van Gundy was a Knicks coach for a long time for, you know, over six years and that was in the early stages of me learning the NBA game. And I would say I probably learned more about the NBA from, uh, from Jeff than anybody else because he was you know, he was so open uh, about teaching other people the game. And he just was, uh, you know, he lives, breathes and sleeps basketball. So he was great as well. And then, you know, people like uh, Doug Collins and UB Brown and, and Snapper Jones and Bill Walton. I mean, I could go on and, and my current, uh, partners with Mark, Mark Jackson and Jeff. Um, I just, I've learned so much from all of them. And it's, it really is the best part of the job. Cause you know, Nick, as you know, the, the game is the greatest, but the relationships that you make from the game is what makes the whole journey so special.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the, the idea that you can hang out, I've hung out with Hubie Brown a little bit and it's just amazing to just listen to him talk. Uh, I'm kind of curious you guys, when you guys are doing with uh, all of your partners on ABC and ESPN, uh, do you guys do that thing where maybe like you touch the arm and you know when to start talking and stop talking? How how does that work when no one ever talks over each other?
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good question, Nick. Every every uh, analyst is different that you work with. Um, what I've always done is when I'm working with an analyst for the first time, I'll sit down with them before the game. You know, the day before if we go out to dinner, and I'll ask him, what is he like? Uh, does he like me to throw him direct questions? Uh, would he rather me just uh, wait till a timeout before and, and uh, preview the question to him, rather than throw a question out to him live on the air. Um, I'll let him know. Hey, listen, if if uh, you're in the middle of, of a teaching moment or telling a story and a guy scores a basket, don't worry about it. I'm not going to have to come in and make the call. It's TV; people can see it. Just keep going. You know. So you go through different things about the way I broadcast, what they like broadcasting, and you get a feel from everybody. And it takes a little while. Every analyst is a little different. You kind of – you get a feel for when they stop. You get a feel for when they they want you to start picking up again. Um, The only one one who – I mean, he was so much fun to work with, and and I still hope I work with him again, was Bill Walton. And Bill would say to me when we first started working together, listen, he says, if I start going on too long, you just punch me, or you just (laughs) grab my arm and pull me, and I'll stop And lo and behold, uh, the first game I'm doing with him, he's just going on and on (laughs) about something. And I had to grab his arm. And he he looked at me and he smiled and he stopped. And uh, we went on from there. We had had a great few years together. Um, But every analyst is different. And it's more, um, Nick, of, of just getting a feel for a guy in terms of when he's... When he wants to say something, and and that's where it's the chemistry is important. And for me to to be working now with Mark Jackson and, and Jeff Van Gundy for the past, well, we've been working together like 12, 13 years. Um, chemistry in the booth is, is is a little similar to chemistry on the court. You know, continuity being to know know your teammates and what they like and what they dislike is a very underrated part of the broadcasting business.
0: Oh, absolutely. And you can tell it's what's so exciting when you're listening to it. In fact, I spent a lot of time going through footage day, uh, all day long, and I almost never listen to the broadcasters. because I'm just too busy. I'm too quick to get through it. But I usually have to stop and listen when I'm doing Knicks because, you know, I'm sure people are listening to this are familiar with, you know, Walt Frazier's stylings. And I'm just kind of curious. Do you ever just sort of like stop in the middle of the game and turn to him and say, like, say, wait, what did you just say? <laughs>
1: Yeah, early, early in the career, and, and for Clyde, um, I mean, I, I was a kid growing up in Yonkers, New York, uh, a huge Nick fan. Uh, Clyde was was my basketball hero. I, I had a big poster uh, hung up in my house on him, and to be able to work with, him, we've been working together for twenty five years. Uh, it really is a dream come true, and you know his his style is so different than anybody else's and there there've been times over the years where he throws out a phrase or a word that either is just so perfect and hilarious that i i'm i'm laughing in the middle of the game or i have no idea what the word means and he's um you know he's just a joy to be around he he, he loves the game as well and as he's gotten older Nick he he just he has such an amazing appreciation for what the game has given him UB Brown's the same way. Um, you know, we all look at those, those two Hall of Famers and say, boy, they've given the game so much. But they look at it the other way. They look at it as the game has given, this, given them this incredible life. And their appreciation of what the game has given them, uh, to me, comes through uh, on the telecast that they do because they have such passion and joy for, for the game.
0: Well, you know, this is all reminding me of, you know, I was in college in the 90s and having to go through – I grew up in Chicago. We had, you know, tickets to the Bulls. And so, so you know, I had to, I had to suffer through the Knicks-Bulls playoff series. And this is – I think you were – were you covering – let me ask you this. Were you calling – Well, let game? me tell
1: you, you, you didn't do much suffering. It was the Knicks <laughs> okay. fans that did more of the suffering.
0: <laughs> well, many a Mother's Day dinner was ruined having watched two and a half hours of those games and being so tense. We, we were yelling at each other across the table, but – Were you calling the game, the game five without Jordan, uh, when when uh, Allen Houston gets uh, shoots the shot and Pippen gets called for a foul after he releases the shot?
1: Yeah, that was actually Hubert Davis is the one that took the shot. Oh, Hubert Davis, forgive me. Right. Uh, Yes, I did, and and you know you're right. Um, It's funny, Nick. You you think of certain series over the years and and certain seasons, and those Nick Bulls battles. You know especially when Jordan was there they almost all went to to the Bulls but they were all so, so close and every possession was critical it's you know you you watch games and people like to say oh the NBA's a fourth quarter league but when you get to the playoffs it's amazing what a what a play in the first quarter uh the impact that has on the game and every possession was was tense and tight. And you really were, uh, it's not just a cliche, you were on the edge of your seat. And it was hard. It was, it was hard to be a fan because, you know, you were heartbroken as a Knicks fan against the Bulls so often. But that was one of the few times where the Knicks uh, broke the Bulls fans' hearts.
0: Yeah, I, are you willing to admit that that call might have been a little bit, you know, unnecessary?
1: <laughs> you know, here's the funny thing. That call today, they changed, uh, if you remember a couple of years ago in the Western Conference semifinals, the Warriors were playing the Spurs, and Kawhi Leonard and the uh, Spurs were, were the big underdogs, and in game one, they're up 25. They are just, just kicking butt uh, on Golden State, and Kawhi Leonard shoots a three, and Jaja Petrulia comes out to defend the three, and he lands right in the landing area of Kawhi Leonard, who comes down on on Pachulia's foot, badly sprains his ankle, and he's done. Series is over. Spurs have no chance without Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. And the next year, the NBA uh, really emphasized and kind of changed the rule that they were now going to start calling defensive fouls when the defensive player is in the landing area of the jump shooter. And that was the perfect example of that back then. Scottie Pippen could not have contested that shot. Uh, unless his momentum carried him into Hubert Davis and fouled him so i will i will go to my grave claiming that was the right call even though the official Hugh Hollins years later said he shouldn't have made that call.
0: <laughs> okay. I'll, well, I'll take Hugh Hollins' word, out, but you make a good point. I don't know if he kind of got underneath his feet like that, but, yes, I, I remember talking to some some Bulls coaches from then who still, like, just, you know, roll their eyes only because there's a special moment. Without Michael, they had a real chance to still win and uh, in a team concept. But whether or not you think the Bulls should have won that series back in 94, I think we can all agree on the fact that when you build a website, it's got to look and function beautifully. And that's where Wix comes in. Join the over 140 million people who have used Wix to design their site. And you'll be choosing from over 500 stunning templates or build one from scratch. Everything is automatically optimized for any device. They have built-in SEO tools so you'll get found easily. And you don't need to know any code to make it function however you like. You can start and publish a website for free and right now, you can get 10% off their premium services if you go to Wix.com slash podcast. That's W-I-X slash podcast. So don't miss out on building your next website. It's an incredibly easy process. The interface can walk you through it step by step, and you'll have something to be proud of up and running in no time. Click on Wix.com slash podcast and push the limits of web design with Wix. Like you know people who were born in like 1910 have seen the world change immeasurably from then and I feel like you've gone through the same kind of thing from the 90s until now has your has your style of play-by-play had to change now that they play the game so differently
1: You know that that's a that's a really interesting question um I I don't think so uh, as you know uh, as well as anybody the game has has changed so much when I first started it was such a physical game. Um and although when I say it was a physical game in the nineties, Clyde laughs at me because back when he played <laughs> right. you know, if you had if you had strong forearms, you can hand check a guy, you couldn't go anywhere. He he tells stories all the time about Oscar Robinson. If Oscar Robinson didn't want you to go forward because of a hand check, you weren't you weren't going forward. Um, but then it started to get a little less physical in terms of the hand check. They take away the hand checks, but the game was so physical. You could, you know, in back in the 90s in those Knicks Bull series, um, there would be three to four flagrant fouls per game by what today's game is called, the standard today's game is called by. Um, so the league, after, you know, after the Pistons and the, the bad boys, they really started to feel like, hey, we need to go back to a free-flowing game um, so the game is, is is a lot quicker. The pace of the of play right now is a lot quicker, but it doesn't really change how you call. You do have to um, be shorter. Say, for example, uh, when the pace of like today's game and they're going up and down the floor and they're firing up threes, you have to shorten your storytelling because you don't have as much time. Back in the day when it was more of a grinded out game, you had a little more time to get in anecdotes, et cetera, et cetera like that. So maybe that's one One possible change, but overall, you know, you pretty much call it the same way. You prepare the same way. Um, You know, there are different stats now you look at that you didn't look at years ago. And I think that's that might be the biggest change is that, you know, analytics is such an important part of the game. And although I'm old fashioned and still prefer to go by the eye test. Uh, some analytics are fantastic, and they're, they're really informative for, for the viewers. So uh, I think you have to look at, at those things and, and, and make that part of your broadcast preparation.
0: For sure, and you're mentioning how, t- how tough and physical it was. I mean, in my research, I just all of a sudden had been reminded that you were actually calling the game in, the, in Detroit when they had that big uh, brawl. Uh, any, any memories of that, like what your reaction was while it was all going on around you?
1: Yeah, the the malice at the palace. Um, well, the first it, it was such a sad day for the league because um, it was it was actually scary. I mean, you you're actually afraid for your for your safety because uh, a mob mentality had taken over. And when I was our broadcast location, I was doing the game with uh, Bill Walton and Jim Gray. Um, the crowd was really surging down. Even from the upper decks, they were now running down and coming towards the court. And you could see that if they didn't get a handle, if security didn't stop some of these fights, um, the mob mentality of the crowd would have come on the floor. And that was the scary part because it seemed when one fight broke up between two players, another one would immediately continue. And it just wouldn't stop. It kept going on and on. And I've told this story before. But I remember watching as the the Pacers were walking off the floor, there was a little tunnel for them to go to their locker room, and the crowd was hovering over that tunnel, and they were pelting the the Pacer players with whatever they could find. Um, And it was really dangerous for the Pacer players. And there was this young woman, I'm going to say probably in in her late 20s, early 30s, and she was dressed impeccably. And I remember saying, as I'm looking at the scene, oh, my goodness, this poor woman in the middle of this mob mentality. And all of a sudden, she takes out from wherever it was this huge full bottle of water and throws it at one of the players. And it, that was then it struck me that there's no way this woman would have ever done this in any other situation. But the mob mentality took over. And that's what was so scary about that scene is, is people were doing things that they would have never done before.
0: And so were you just sort of like staying put at the scores table or did you run or what what happened at that for you?
1: No, no, we stayed put. Um, Fortunately, we were on the other side, Uh, but the crowd behind us was coming down as well. I don't know what would have happened if more people had had stormed the court. Um, You know, and at that point, you're so focused on doing your job because we were still live on the air. And, (laughs) you know, at that time, uh, the key I've always felt um, is something like that. You just have to it's almost like you're doing play by play of a fight like you're a boxing announcer, and that's what you had to do. I just wanted to focus on making sure that the viewers at home knew exactly what was going on and to try and and convey a sense of of tension and convey a sense of, of, you know, just how crazy and chaotic this scene was.
0: Wow. Well, you've already been so nice and generous with your time. I have two more questions. Do we have time for two more?
1: Absolutely. This, right, is, this is really fun,
0: Nick. Yeah, I'm having fun too. So, well, okay, let's see. Uh, now, you know, this sort of connects to what happened recently with Russell Westbrook and the fans yelling at him and him going off. Uh, I don't even know, can you comment? Or do you have a feeling of a, like uh, an opinion on what how that all went down?
1: Uh, sure. Um, you know, over the years, uh, it, it, it goes like how the style of play changes, the way the fans react changes well. And there's always – There's always been uh, fans that that say inappropriate things. Um, I think today it's more of the profanity from the fans is what's so disturbing.
0: Hmm. You
1: know, again, the majority of the fans are fantastic. They're passionate. Even when they're booing, even when they're trying to, to heckle a player, you know, it's all part of the game but there's always a handful that go go over the line and you know I I've heard some things cuz we sit courtside I've heard some things that are just despicable uh I've heard some things that are racial uh that are you know extremely personal and it's it's uh, it's easy for us to say well as a player you you just can't respond you just got to turn and walk away well if somebody was saying some of these things to you or to me, I don't know if I'd have the self-control not to respond, either with a, a verbal attack back or you know, somebody says something um, so personal you want to go and fight that person. It, it's easier said than done. Now, with that said, the players know that they can't. They, they can't go back into the stands and go after somebody. Um, and the wrong thing is to respond, especially back in profanity. So what Russell Westbrook said the other day, his actual words, you you can't say that, but it's easy for me to say when I'm not the one that's being talked to the way this this, uh, couple said things to him. And and by obvious, by the Salt Lake uh, reaction, these people can't go to that arena ever again because their language was so despicable. Uh, So that's what bothers me. And and I've always wondered, you know, you'll hear some guy and he's just dropping F-bombs at a player. And you look up and you look at the guy and they 'll have their son or their daughter next to them, and they 're saying those things, and all of a sudden the the kid says the same uh, hideous thing so it 's really disturbing I, I think the key is the security in the arenas have to identify these people right away and immediately throw them out um, you 're allowed to go after and heckle and boo, but once you start getting into the profanity, uh, I think that's it 's up to each individual organization to inform their their arena security that uh we're not going to stand for this and we're going to throw these people out
0: yeah you know it's actually uh, just inspired me to maybe do a video on this like you know the best ways to heckle a player that are in, in bounds <laughs> and give people better ideas than what's going on let me ask you this is it safe to say that the racial stuff that you've heard in the past in different arenas is in, is in not just sort of one or two arenas you've heard it probably across the country is that safe to say
1: you know um I wouldn't say across the country, and and this is one positive, uh, Nick, I, I found years ago you'd hear it, the racial stuff. You, you really don't hear it as much anymore. Uh, it's rare. It's more the profanity today. That's okay. where the, that stuff has changed. Uh, but back in, like, in the 90s, um, you know, when the Knicks would travel, because the Knicks were a tough, rugged team, they would hear some some, uh, some ugly things. Um, but it wasn't in every arena. It was just in, in, in some of them. But every arena has their share of idiots who, uh, who feel that this is their chance to, to show their manhood or whatever and, mm-hmm. and, and try and intimidate a player.
0: Yeah, I can imagine Walt uh, Frazier also has, you know from his playing days, it's, uh, even worse stuff. So, well, let's finish on, on, on a high note because I kind of wanted to ask you the origin of bang. I feel like maybe you've told this story, but maybe not everyone knows it. So do you remember when you first did that and how it caught on?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not a thrilling story, but this is how it happened. I, I was a student at Fordham and I, I went to Fordham to, um, work at the college radio station. I wanted to broadcast their games and, and get my career started in the college level. And, um, the games that I didn't broadcast as a student, I would always go to, there was about four or five of us, including Michael Kay, who's the Yankee announcer. And, uh, we would, uh, we would sit in the stands when we weren't the students that were broadcasting that particular game. And when a Fordham player hit a long shot, as a fan, I'm sitting in the stands and I would scream out on a Fordham player, hit the shot, bang, when he, when he hit the shot. Hmm. And I thought about it, I'm like, you know what, that, maybe I'll use that on the air, because I kind of like the way it sounded when I was a fan yelling it out. And I tried it on the air a couple of times when I was at Fordham, and I actually didn't. I'm like, "Ah, this doesn't work. And I (laughs) uh, kind of shelved it for a while. But then when I started doing Nick games several years later, um, I I realized a a key part of play-by-play is being concise. And it was such a perfect one word to describe, you know, the shot going in. And it was, you know, when the crowd's going crazy, um, that's when I think an announcer has to back off and talk less and it just was a very concise, easy word to use to convey a big shot. And I started using it uh, back when I started doing Nick games. And I, I got some nice feedback from people. So that's that's how it started.
0: And, you know, and then I've talked to a lot of play-by-play guys who a lot of times they'll have like these amazing, like, just turn of phrase. Um, and it's almost like you think, oh, they got that in their back pocket. They were waiting to say it that way um and i'm looking for the one because i know you had one at some point something like it rhymed with bang and, the blue, and it was like perfect but i is it is it safe to say that you probably it's all just sort of natural and out of the uh out of the flow of what's going on
1: yeah i i don't i, I you know you don't want to choreograph your call it's you know the game is such a, a passionate emotional game that you just want to react to it um you know i i'm, I'm you know, people. I remember I, uh, it was earlier this this year. It was a game between Golden State and uh, trying to think of who they were playing. And the guy says to me, "Oh, I can't wait to hear all the bangs tonight." And I didn't say bang a single time because it oh, wow. didn't warrant it. Um, you know, it's kind of it kind of has to be a, a momentum changing shot or a big shot at the end. I usually save it for just threes. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it, to me being spontaneous is is more important because you just got to go with the flow of the game.
0: For sure. Now, do you have any other little things that you say like that that are uh, recognizable?
1: Oh, oh, I don't. I'm, uh, you try to mix it up because you don't want to be a one-trick pony and you don't want to keep saying the phrases over and over again. So I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, there's just the usual stuff. And quite honestly, and I found this out later, uh, Johnny Most, who uh, was one of the all-time great NBA play-by-play announcers, he was the Celtics announcer for for so many years. Um, but back in the day, you know, if you didn't live in Boston, you never you didn't really hear Johnny Most. You'd hear an occasional uh, highlight tape, but he used Bang. And I remember uh, his son contacted me when I started doing national games especially games in Boston, and he, to let me know, hey, just so you know, my dad used to use bang. And I, I, I didn't feel like it was anything I, I stole from him, uh, but I felt it was an honor to, to, uh, to use one of the phrases of one of the greats. And I remember I paid tribute on a, on a Celtic telecast once after I said it, um, you know, to make mention of him because we, you know, just like players do, broadcasters are, are grateful and, um, and in awe of the ones that came before us.
0: You know, okay, this is really, really weird because I always address everybody as, hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here. And I found the same thing. Johnny Most had done that intro the same way, where he goes, hey, sports fans, and this is Johnny Most here. So I feel like we're now brothers from another mother or something because that's really strange. Uh, that, 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 that's the same interesting story. So. Uh, yeah, Johnny Most is definitely one of the best, and also, I mean, you know, the people that you've worked with, also just uh, an amazing career so far, and uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, I don't know what another what twenty, thirty years. You're not gonna, you're not gonna quit on this anytime soon, are you?
1: No, Nick, I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as, as uh, my employers will have me. Um, like you, I'm, I fell in love with the game of basketball when I was a little kid, and uh, it's been a lifelong love affair. So I'm, um, I'm blessed beyond what I deserve to be doing what I'm doing.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and spending some time with us. And, uh, you know, I got 100 more questions, and, you know, maybe down the line we'll, we'll have to connect again, and, uh, and I'll ask them. So thank you again for coming on the show.
1: Oh, Nick, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
0: And don't forget, sports fans, at b Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Mike?
1: I am absolutely in.